episode 248 of Global From Asia GFA 248. And we do spend time with the show notes. You can check out the show notes and images of these guests and other info at globalfromasia.com slash episode 248. Let's tune in. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. Thank you, everybody, for choosing to download or stream or listen to this WeChat, WeChat podcast. It's getting popular in WeChat. Uh, my amazing wife, Wendy, and partner helps me out getting it into our WeChat official account. And some of you even shared it on Facebook. I saw Kathy sharing John Graham's podcast last week on her Facebook, but using the WeChat official account link. I know the world is very confusing. And here at Global From Asia, we're all about bridging, trying to bridge Asia, China, and the rest of the world. Today's show will be a very interesting one like that. So thank you again for choosing to listen to us. We uh, are very happy to have such great response from people listening and enjoying these last few shows. So it makes me a little bit warm and fuzzy inside. Because, uh, you know, I usually do my my this, this uh, preview of each episode on Friday afternoon. Kids are screaming around downstairs at the house, but I uh, sneak up here for the show coming on Tuesday to uh, do a little bit of intro and talk about what's happening. And Rico, which was a guest a couple weeks ago, listened to the show and liked my little outro, my conclusion. I've been kind of ranting at the end of these shows for about, I don't know, seems like 10 minutes or so. I'll add some more at the end of this show. We have... um, I have a lot to say. I'm going to talk about some of my perspectives with Chinese factories and Chinese sellers. So if you want to hear that, I'm not going to squeeze it into the intro. I want to get into the, uh, the interview as soon as possible, but I will rant at the end with about 10 minutes. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll keep that up and get a little feedback. People like that, my perspectives on the Chinese factories and sellers, uh, or just my little perspective of each episode we talk about. So... This show I recorded when I was down in Bangkok. It's, you know, it's not as big as China, Thailand, but you do need to fly around a little bit. I've been going out of Bangkok from Chiang Mai every now and then for different different reasons, different projects. And I got to catch up with Thierry. He's an he's a amazing, amazing, experienced uh, business trader, import-export, uh, Amazon business person uh, in the toy industry. And uh, he's he's got some really amazing insights about what he's seeing in the toy industry, in the Amazon world, in Europe, and with Chinese factories building their own brands, and the way the whole world is going with supply chain, the history. I mean, I have a long list of stuff. Uh, we did this in person, and I'm a little bit rusty. I had to brush off the dust almost literally from some of the ATR uh, my, my, my different microphones and the, uh, portable podcast player pay a few hundred bucks for that thing. Um, and I, a little bit embarrassed, but my side of the microphone was not really working for the first 10 minutes. So you're hearing my side from his side. I might re-record Alvin, our amazing editor might fix that, but luckily his, his microphone is working and you know, he's the guest. His, his content is, is really amazing and really valuable. I'm really excited for today's show. And we, um, we, you know, I think this show is actually something we like to talk about with 
uh, global from Asia, we're kind of between the Chinese world and and the international world here, and the way the you know trade wars and and debts and and the way the sellers are growing around the world and uh, just a lot of amazing stuff and the way the pro progress over the years and some of the opportunities in the in the global markets and 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 some really fun stuff so we uh are very lucky to have Thierry on the show and i'm going to give you my perspectives of chinese sellers chinese factories at the end after we finish all this and actually a little tidbit at the end i'll talk about some interesting and insights i had a i had a nice coffee meeting with a huge seller uh from from europe while i was in chiang mai here um also about the same time and he's he's getting kind of crushed i'm not going to reveal his name but he's getting uh he's feeling the chinese sellers squeezing him and i'm going to talk about that after the show so let's get into this toys and amazon and europe and chinese factories uh with terry now let's tune in thank you our sponsor go remit.hk formerly known as Aurelia Pay, for cross-border payments from Hong Kong. So if you're like me and you make payments into China, Philippines for VAs, Thailand for your rent, or anywhere in different parts of Asia, Vietnam as well, definitely check out goremit.hk. They are a cross-border payments solutions company for those of us doing cross-border payments in Asia through Hong Kong. They've been supporting the show for the years, and if you enjoy Global From Asia, I highly recommend you check them out free to sign up go remit.hk all right thank you buddy for tuning in to another global from asia podcast we are here in bangkok thailand and i get to meet a friend through chris from chris davy from his meetups thierry bore yeah that's correct great hi how are you doing i'm fine thanks and you i'm doing fine good so yeah, I haven't been to Bangkok for a while. I'm glad we got to meet up while I'm here. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you came. Um, I haven't met anybody from the uh, from Chris's meetup for a long time because I I used to live in Hong Kong, and moved to Bangkok in uh, in July last year, and uh, since then I've kind of lost touch with a lot of guys. Mm, yeah, so we're staying in touch, and but yeah, yeah, we both made the move to Thailand, and you you originally from the UK? No, I'm French. French? I, but I haven't lived in France for 32 years now, I think. I left oh. France in 1986 to learn English. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wanted to work on a cruise ship. Uh, that was the plan. And uh, my parents had a hotel and restaurant. And I wanted to go on a cruise ship as a head waiter. And I went for the interview. Everything was great. But then they said, your English is not good enough. So oh. I thought, okay. So I went. I thought, they said, but we can, um, you should go and work in the UK for uh, a few months and then after that come back to us. And I went to the UK. I never went back for a second interview and I stayed there for a long time. I have lived in the UK. I have lived in Japan. I've lived in Hong Kong and now I'm living in Bangkok. Nice, very international background. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, yes, uh, very international. I worked for a very big uh, Japanese company for a long time. Uh, and I used to travel to Japan a lot. And uh, I think uh, I, uh, I traveled a lot, uh, even still now. Um, I travel an awful lot. Uh, I was in Australia last week. Uh, I think this year I have been to UK, Germany, um, China, uh, Australia. 
uh, and it's only beginning of March. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm I'm getting back in the in, in back in travel, but I just did my my visa, so. Oh, I see. Just uh, took I see. a few months. Just hanging out in Chiang Mai, but it's good to be here. Bangkok is much more action here. Than yeah, there's a lot of things happening in Bangkok. Um, there is a there is a, a an entrepreneur uh, scene here, uh, which is which is good. Uh, probably less less busy than uh, than uh, Hong Kong. Uh, I was used to um, to a lot of meetup uh, in 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 Hong Kong, and there are a lot less here. Uh, clearly. Mm. Um, you know, and I think there are a few, a few co-working spaces that organize um, organize training meetups and things, but it's less frequent, definitely less frequent than in it was in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, I think they they suffer a little from an overload of co-working spaces, sure. and uh, and therefore they're all trying to organize something to compete. Here, there are quite a few co-working spaces, uh, but not not quite as many. Um, you know, I, I chose this one because it's very close to my home, and it's very convenient. It's just uh, down from the BTS station, yeah. Uh, and it looks quite nice. I, you know, I like it here. Yeah, where we they gave us a nice room to record, and and everything is is good. You know, we we talk about cross border business, cross border e commerce yeah. on the show, mm. and I've always known you as the toy. Yeah, I'm the toy guy. I, I have been in the toy industry since uh, 2008. Uh, I, uh, I work for, I had my own uh, toy distribution company in the UK. Uh, I distributed brands like uh, Orb from uh, uh, Canada, Radio Flyer from the US that wow. I think a lot of people know. Uh, I distributed quite a few uh, different brands in the UK as a distributor. So importing from China mostly. Uh, and selling those brands to large retailers. That's where I started. Um, although um, not many distributors or not many brands will tell you, although now as things are more open, um, they all had a, a, an e-commerce site, uh, sometimes branded at their own name, but more often than not, not branded or branded under another name uh, because they didn't want their customers or their retailers to know that they were selling online. Mm. Uh, now things are a lot more open. Um, Lego, for example, have got their own uh, website selling to uh, selling directly to, um, to, to, to the consumers. And, and quite a few brands have that now and, and distributors are doing that as well. So that's how I got into e-commerce. So e-commerce didn't come, you know, like I want to start a website selling toys. It's just that I had some toys in my warehouse and I'm thinking yeah great they're sitting there and waiting for the orders from the retailers and let's try to do something with that stock and that's how I started um, a website a retail website uh, using PrestaShop at the time uh, um, and, and so on and then at the time we were selling to Amazon so Amazon Vanda um, and that's who we're selling to um, but Amazon was only interested in in us listing part of the range, mm -hmm. not all the whole range, and we started listing the rest of the range as Amazon FBA. Okay. So that's how that's how I, I, I started. The the other danger as well for uh, I mean not for the U.S. market because in the U.S. market most um, uh, Amazon and everybody has to um, comply with the uh, RRP. Where in Europe 
uh, you don't have a RP. Uh, it's illegal for a brand or anybody to fix a price. Um, and and um, you know you, you can give your customers a, a suggested retail price, but that's it. And Amazon has got um, Amazon vendor has got the habit of not respecting that mm. and trying to sell cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And for brands, it's a real problem. The other thing with Amazon vendor is the fact that if you have a distributor in the UK, a different distributor in France and another one in Germany, <clears throat> lines become a little blurred. I.e., for example, uh, a number of years ago, um, there was a, a product with a frozen license, which you know you can imagine the demand on that. And um, the range was about, I think, 10 or 12 products. And I gave exclusivity in the UK on two, uh, two of the product, okay. uh, SKU as we call them. Yeah. Uh, and, and I gave exclusivity. And then a few weeks later, the buyer calls me and he said, I thought you gave me exclusivity. Why is it on Amazon? I'm thinking, well, I don't know. So I ordered one mm -hmm. to find out where it came from. And the label from the French distributor uh, was on the box. So I called the French distributor and I asked him what he was playing at. And he said, well, I promise you, I didn't sell to Amazon UK. And then we found out that the Amazon... Uh, realized that the sales on that product were good in France and thought, oh, why isn't it listed in the UK and duly um, uh, imported or shipped from their Amazon France warehouse to one of the Amazon UK warehouse and that was it. So consumer-wise, I guess it was good for the consumer, but for me as a distributor and for my uh, retailer in the UK, that was not good. So I've, been, I've, been, I've always been a little wary of Amazon um, uh, vendor compared to Amazon FBA, because Amazon FBA, I can list the product, I can make sure my listings are good, I can make sure that um, my price is um, according to my suggested retail price, uh, and, and that's it. So I'm, I'm a lot more... I'm a lot happier using Amazon FBA rather than Amazon Vandor, mm. uh, generally speaking. As a brand? As a brand. Okay. And that would be because it seems like the control is... It's, it's kind of a control, yes. I, I, I understand that, you know, we shouldn't, I mean, as a brand, you shouldn't control the price and so on. But, you know, I, I'm working, I mean, I was working with a lot of retailers and the retailers, they've got uh, brick and mortar uh, they, they've got uh, they've got to pay for uh, uh, rate, rent, uh, tax, and so on. And we all know, you know, I, I don't know if you, if you listen to to um, I mean, I listen to French news and and European news quite a lot. And uh, they talk about Gafa, and Gafa are Google, uh, Amazon, uh, Facebook, and so on. And the fact that they don't pay tax in Europe, or they pay little tax in Europe, and. Um, and therefore, uh, and you've seen the retailers are disappearing at a, at a, at a rate of not, you know, the, the, a lot of bricks and mortar shops are disappearing. And therefore, uh, the reason f for that is Amazon has got, Amazon and others have got a lot to, um, you know, a lot to answer for. Um, you know, bookshops have disappeared. I mean, in the UK, we used to have lots and lots of bookshops when I lived there. And now, you know, they're disappearing because... 
um, because of Amazon. There's no other word than that. And I, 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 I see the use of Amazon. I use Amazon. I make money out of Amazon. But I'm still thinking, mm, you know, sometimes I'm worried about it. Yeah, it's true. It's like a, yeah, as a buyer, it's, it's, you, people have no problem. This sounds good. They get the best price. I mean, isn't, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I think it's the uh, three things that Bezos or Amazon, it's like the best price, the fastest, and uh, maybe customer service. It's fast. Yeah. Price and the thing the, the thing they have is with the return. You know, you're not happy with it. You just return it, and that's it. And as I mean, as a consumer, it's fantastic. You know, don't get don't get me wrong. I'm I'm I use Amazon. You know, I have an Amazon Prime, or I had an Amazon Prime when I lived in the UK, and uh, it was a, it's a fantastic service. Um, but you know, you've got to see the other side of it, which you know, it can be it can, it can be a monster. Yeah, so I know Europe fights a lot of these American internet companies, right? Like they've had fights with Microsoft, Google, and now it seems Amazon is like their target now. Amazon is a target, yes, definitely. In Europe, uh, I think the European Union is, is trying to do something with, with the fact that those guys are not paying the right amount of tax. You know, they, they're making, they're making a, a lot of profit. Uh, in Europe, and they're not paying a lot of tax. I listened to to the news today, um, you know, in France, where you know they they are going to tax those people. And uh, you know, so, um, somebody called the radio and said, "Yes, but you know, those guys are going to leave." And and the 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 uh, t um, host of the program actually said, "Do you seriously think that um, Facebook is going to leave France because we're going to start tax them?" Of course not. And I think it's all about fair taxation, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, and I think those guys will have to realize, and at the end of the day, we will all have to pay more. Because if those guys are taxed and they don't make the same amount of profit, consumer will have to pay more. Yeah. Yeah, I actually haven't followed the, the Trump stuff, but it seems like he's, it seems like it's back, back down, the whole trade war. The trade war with China, well, you know, let's put it this way, in the, in the toy industry, everybody, has been extremely worried about it, and they were stockpiling of goods uh, in uh, in the U.S. Um, especially, you know, waiting for you know just in case the tariff was going to be imposed. It was not imposed last year. Uh, I think last year the uh, toy industry had already uh, a massive issue with the loss of Toys R Us in uh, uh, the loss of Toys R Us in in the U.S. has been a, a massive blow to a lot of uh, a lot of companies, and 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 a lot of uh, and the loss of Toys R Us has had impact on a lot of on a lot of things. I'll give you an example. You know, as a, as a toy as a toy company, when you have a new product or a new range of product, Toys R Us used to take a risk, and then you you've got 800 shops. Uh, that say, okay, fine, we're going to stock uh, 20 or 30 of this. You know, it makes toy it makes toy companies actually think, yeah, that's good. Uh, so we can launch that range because we've got at least the backup of the order from Toys R Us, and that has disappeared. Wow. And um, you know, a lot a lot less innovation uh, is happening at the moment because people are. Concern that um, you know where are we going to place it? Toys R Us are no, not no longer there. I know Toys R Us is trying to come back, um, and um, 
you know, they, they, they are trying to, but they left um, some, a lot of companies in a lot of trouble uh, because they didn't get paid. And I think that the guys that are, start, are trying to restart Toys R Us are mm, going to find it difficult for everybody to um, sell them toys because they've left uh, some bad debts behind. Yeah, and I guess when they restructure, they don't honor the old... Well, no, no, they, they're not going to honor the debts. They, yeah. they, as far as they are concerned, so least, that's it. Yeah. They start, they start, start afresh. They start afresh. You know, I, I, I have heard a lot of rubbish about, about, uh, about uh, the demise of Toys R Us. Yes, Toys R Us made a few mistakes, okay? One mistake was to uh, sell on Amazon, okay, and, and do a partnership with Amazon. That was their biggest mistake rather than launch their own website because then it gave all the data to Amazon and to say, yeah, great, thank you guys. Um, you know, uh, now we've got all the sales data, we know exactly what to do and what to, what to buy, and that was it. And then the partnership failed and, and you know, filled, went away, and that was it. And they forgot to invest in their own website, and I think that's where, that's where the issue is. The other big issue with Toys R Us is um, the fact that they were saddled with so much debt from, from the uh, investment company. And repaying that debt uh, meant that they couldn't invest in, in, in websites and social media and, and, and so on. And that's why, I think that's why they died, mm. unfortunately. Um, you know, it was a great retailer to work with, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, everybody, their brand is, is amazing. I mean, yeah. time, timeless. Uh, is FAO Schwartz? They're still around. Oh, FAO Schwartz came back. FAO Schwartz, Schwartz was on is uh, on was on uh, by Toys R Us, oh. and they sold it to uh, a company based in Hong Kong called Three Hundred and Sixty Sourcing or something like that. So they are making a big comeback. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware, but you know the the biggest toy fair in the world is the one in Nuremberg in in Germany in February. And uh, and they had a, F. A. O. Schwartz had a booth there, um, selling their own branded F. A. O. Schwartz products. They've also got a partner in China, uh, called Kidsland, and they are planning to open their first shop in Beijing in a few weeks' time. Um, and I think they have a program of opening something like forty shops in in China, at some point. Uh, I think F. A. O. Schwartz is going to go somewhere. Hamleys, uh, which is another big name in the toy industry, uh, is struggling a little bit. And they're owned by a Chinese company, and the Chinese company is not doing particularly well, and I think he's trying to offload it at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, they've got a lot of franchises around the world. Uh, I think one of the one that's the most successful is the one in India. He's doing quite nicely. Uh, owned by a company uh, called Reliance in China. In China, sorry, in India. Um, you know, Hamleys, Hamleys in China, I don't think he's doing particularly well. I think they've got three shops now. They had a plan to open a lot more, but I think that that program is, is dead in the water now. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, of course, you're the toy, toy expert. Um, do you think similar things... It seems like this is probably a trend, not just in toys, right? What we're talking about, the, these retail stores. I think this is happening... 
It's uh, the, the, the retail. There are lots of retail stores happening worldwide. I mean, there's no doubt about this. Um, you know, Toys R Us in Australia gone. Toys R Us in the UK gone. Uh, but there are some. There are some. Uh, some interesting other companies in the UK. You've got a, a huge company called The Entertainer, uh, who uh, I've got a number of toy shops and are doing nicely there. Um, they've expanded. Uh, and they are expanding overseas, and and they're doing well. Um, I think I think that uh, you know they they are the the lines between supplier, uh, manufacturer, distributor, uh, selling online. This is all getting very blurred. Okay, all this. You know, in if if you look at some uh, UK market, you used to have a lot of toy distributors. So the toy distributor was between the factory, the brand. And then the retailer, there was a distributor. So that guy used to take a risk, buy stock, and sell it to the retailer. And the retailers found, oh, well, let's not do that. Let's go directly to the factory. And then they did that for a while. So they bypassed the distributor and so on. And then they realized that because of the internet, they were making less and less margin. So you get a company in the UK, uh, John Lewis, big uh, department store. You go there. Most of their toys are on their own brand. Because they have a they have a motto saying never knowingly undersold, which means that they had to honor prices. So if you buy a toy at ten pounds somewhere, and it was on sale at eleven at John Lewis, John Lewis said, "Oh, you've got it at ten there. I will sell it to you for ten. And therefore, it was easier to do OEM for them, and that's what they've done. So they're doing a lot more OEM products and a lot of their program are OEM. I've just been to Australia. I went to Target there, Kmart. It's a lot of toys are OEM toys. So they go to the factory with their own design, say, make it for us, and that's it. And that's it. And they know the margin, they make more margin, they make, it's better. And the Chinese factories have understood that. So in the past, a Chinese factory, minimum order quantity, 3,000 units per SKU. Okay, now, uh, 1,500, 1, you know, something like that, much smaller. Because even the Chinese factories are struggling now mm. and they're looking for a, a lot smaller MOQs than they used to um, because they know that it's difficult now to attain the, 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 the huge uh, volumes that they were requiring. It's, right. it's, um, it's, it's, so what do you think is the right place to be? Your, I guess the brand, right? The best is to I think I brand. think the brand is important, and I think a lot of Chinese factories have understood that. Uh, I, I regularly post on LinkedIn, and and I recently posted about about the Chinese factory finally, finally understanding the value of a brand, and they are they are developing their own brand. Uh, you know, from um, so they manufacture, they do a lot of OEM work and ODM, but they also develop their own brand. Um, one of the companies I work for, because I'm, I'm a consultant on my, in my day job, yeah. uh, is a Classic World, which is a, a wooden toy company. And they have a, a huge OEM, ODM department. And I am looking after the branded side of, of, of the company, trying to develop the sales worldwide for, for them. They're doing very well in China, uh, but the rest of the world, mm, pocket, pocket, some pocket countries, they do well, the rest not doing so well. Um, so that's why they they got me in to to do to do the uh, the development of the brand 
and building the name, building the brand. So we spent money on social media. Uh, we're just starting, so it doesn't look great at the moment, but it's getting there. Uh, we're reviewing the packaging. We're employing some good designers. So we're not doing me too products. Uh, you know, if you go in the toy industry, because that's the industry I know well, you get a lot of me too's. Mm. Okay, and and you look at it and you think, oh yeah, that product great. But then you see it there, you see it there, you see it there, and it, you know, all they do is change the color and put them in their own packaging. Um, I, I don't see the point there, really. Um, you know, all you do is end up com competing on price for the similar product and nobody's making money because the Chinese factory is not making money. The uh, people selling it online or in their shop not making money. So, you know, at some point, so you need, that's why you, the, you've got the needs for a designer and, and a pretty good designer. And it's not only packaging, it's, you know, product, point of difference on the product and so on. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I would agree. I think Chinese have finally started to understand the brand, and it's more than just a logo on a on a product. No, it's not. I mean, you know, they, they've they've uh, you know, if you go to China now, compared to when I used to go there twenty twenty five years ago, uh, they've got all the shops with the big brand names, and and they, they I think they realize that well, you know, yes, we want the Louis Vuitton, we want this, we want that, and there is a value in building a brand. Because it's not something that you think, oh, well, it's nothing, it's just a name. It's something you can sell, pass on, you know, and that's got value. Mm -hmm. So, so that's, that's what they, 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 you know, they've understood it. And in the past, they, you know, the Chinese factories used to have their in-house designers, and now they're employing foreign designers. Um, you know, in, in the company Classic, we, we employ a... Uh, a French guy, uh, Israeli lady, and uh, uh, an American guy, you know, doing doing designs and bringing things into the company um, that haven't seen, you know, hasn't been seen before. It's true. I mean, the emergence of the Chinese brand and kind of goes back to what we were discussing earlier. I mean, like the merging of all this in a supply chain and the value of a brand and then the Chinese brand, the stores like Amazon, what do you see is, what do you see the future you, in your crystal ball? What do you, crystal what do you ball, see? crystal ball. I see, I, I, I see that there is, uh, there are a lo lot of online competition. I mean, Amazon is trying hard to, uh, to go into, in, they've gone into India, they've gone into Australia. Uh, they're trying to get into China. I'm not sure that's working so well. Uh, they've got to contend with um, some yeah, big some boys big, there. Yeah, China's its own. Yeah. Its own uh, in Asia, you've got Lazada, who is starting to do okay. You know, he's yeah. he's doing well. Uh, actually, talking about that, I haven't seen many um, Amazon FBA sellers selling on Lazada, and I think that it's a lost opportunity there. Yeah, it's true. I mean, there, I've met a few, but not not too many. It's. it's uh, and the marketplace model is working well. If you look in, you know, another market I know well is the French market, where, um, you know, you, you've got other players. You don't, don't, not only have Amazon. In France, you have a C-Discount, you have La Redoute, uh, where it's a marketplace as well. So I think there are many, many opportunities that, uh, that are opening. Uh, Tesco in the UK used to have a marketplace, um, 
system as well. I'm not sure they still have, but you know they used to have um, a few years ago. I haven't looked into it recently. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah, but you know, so so the whole thing is being blurred between manufacturers, suppliers, uh, distributors, retailers, online retail. You know, this is all being very fluid at the moment, and I I I'm not sure. I mean, you know, I'm I'm 57. Um, and and I don't think that uh, in in uh, my working life I will see much much more difference uh, to to what's happening at the moment. I think the the lines will become more blurred properly, but I don't think there's going to be an absolute revolution in, in, in compared to what I have seen uh, since I started to work. Mm, okay. Well, this has uh, been a fascinating conversation. Thanks for taking your time to share. Um, how can people find you online or find uh, Find me online. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, and I, my profile is you know, under my name, Thierry Bourret. Um, I have my company website because, I'm, as I say, I'm a consultant for a Classic World, but my company is Konomocha, K-O-N-O-M-O-C-H-A.com. Okay. Uh, you can uh, reach link, me there. I'll, yeah, I'll link it up on the show okay, notes perfect. On the website. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Are you looking to grow your international business from Asia? Amazon FBA, import, export, and cross-border e-commerce are trends in today's world, especially here at Global From Asia. And we put together an e-course, e-book, both actually, all together for you for free. With so fast track getting you going global from Asia. Check it out at globalfromasia.com slash ebook you'll get the book as well as an interactive e-course that will be catered based on how you answer the email series so i look forward to seeing you on the inside check it out globalfromasia.com slash ebook thank you so much terry it's great to have you sharing on the show we've been we've met a few times and we've we've been talking about this and i'm glad we finally made it happen and I think it was pretty fascinating. I noticed some technical issues on my mic. I hope uh, I hope the listeners enjoyed. And like I said at the intro, I'm going to give some of my perspectives of the Chinese brands and the world is flat and all of this stuff. You know, I'm just a stupid white guy or stupid American in China for, well, not in China now, in Thailand or Asia for 11 years now. And uh, unfortunately, my Chinese still isn't that good, you know. But I, my eyes are, my eyes work, and I see a lot. And I'm not the only one. There's a lot of other people seeing both sides. But I just thought, thought I would share. I'm not gonna obviously reveal the person or the product. But you know, I, there's obviously a lot of Amazon sellers in in Chiang Mai and Thailand. I've been having the opportunity to, to sit down with some of them, and uh, and talk. And they asked me, of course, I'm like a, you know, a China China guy. And they're uh, they're saying their factories are starting to compete with them in Europe, and he says, uh, you know, a few years ago they were selling against him, and he didn't really care because they didn't seem to know what they were doing. But he's saying now, the factory that he buys from is getting better on Amazon, and he's getting worried now. And he's asking me what to do. And uh, we had my kids there, and my wife was there. My wife, for those that don't know, she's Chinese, and so she's she's listening, and she didn't say anything to him at the spot, but I wrote him a message later about what she had told me, but I thought this was pretty fascinating. So 
I don't, I don't know. I, basically what she says was, you know, that's why Chinese factories don't sell to Chinese sellers or don't like to sell to Chinese sellers. They like to sell to foreign FBA sellers or foreign e-commerce sellers because here's the craziest part. I never, I, it was kind of mind blowing for me. They don't set up factories themselves. You know, she says uh, the Chinese sellers don't have a factory at the beginning, but then they buy from the factory. Say they're selling, uh, I don't know, keyboards, for example. And then they, they, they buy, the Chinese seller sells the keyboards on, uh, on, uh, on Amazon. And they're doing really well and they're buying from the factory. And they're like, you know what? I live in China. I'm Chinese. I can hire a production manager. I can rent a space. I can find the component suppliers. I can make my own keyboards. And they become the factory themselves. And actually, the real feedback I gave to my friend and a really amazing seller for 15 years, and one well, isn't not always in Chiang Mai, but uh, he just he's a Westerner. I don't want to reveal too much. Was that uh, he's got to buy from different factories. He can't buy everything from one Chinese factory because they see everything. You know, honestly, you know, in the Sistano, I still got to get you an update, but. It's it's nerve-wracking to buy everything and then you give them your design files. You say, here's my packaging, print my boxes, assemble all my goods. You know, you know my buddy uh, Mike Bellamy, uh, he has, I got to get him back on the show, but if you probably know him from Passage Maker, he, was, he did some great podcast interviews on GFA many years ago, digging up on the archives. But, you know, you would do the black box or maybe you'd use a sourcing company like Insight Quality, Andy Church, or you'd use uh, Rico Sourcing Services, Source Find Asia, or any of these amazing service providers. But I know a lot of times people want to buy Factory Direct, and then they just say, hey, I'll just give the factory my high-resolution logo file and my AI file printing, and hey, these are my sub-suppliers, or can you find my... Basically, the factory learns everything, and then they they even know how to print it for Amazon, and then and then... I don't know if you've heard these other crazy stories, but you you know how Amazon asks you to verify your supplier, send them the purchase order? You know, I've met people like one one factory owner I met is in Malaysia and he owns his factory in Shenzhen. He's uh he's Malaysian Chinese and he was so raging mad because he says that he Amazon asked him and he sent it to Amazon, but it was his own factory because but you know what Amazon did? They called the factory and they said, hey, your, this product sells really well. Why don't you open your own Seller Central account? We can help you. We can send somebody from our Shenzhen office to train you how to do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, seriously, he was like so enraged. Uh, luckily, it didn't happen to him because he owned a factory. So it was like the salesperson in the company's like, hey, boss, you know, uh, if Amazon just called me and says we should sell directly on Amazon. What's up with that? He's like, oh, it's because they asked me for a, a purchase order. And uh, then they have their sales team in, Ch- in China, which we actually know, contact the factory and tell them to sell directly against the seller. And so that's kind of the stuff that happens to you. So, you know, um, whether you think that's right or wrong, you know, this guy in Chiang Mai, uh, the foreigner, the seller, 15-year-long seller says, what is, what is the goal of Amazon? Did you just want to put everybody in Europe out of business did it you know and then that that is a good question you know I don't but I think you know if you I think I think their motto is you know fastest cheapest 
you know, and the best service, you know, that's just to be the best of all of those. So, you know, um, it's true in a way, though, you know, you can't worry about keeping the jobs. I was in the Philippines and I remember people saying the jeepneys have these barkers. If you have any idea what I'm talking about, there's these people that grab people from the road and try to sell them a bus ticket to go onto one of these like army jeeps and they make like a peso each to get somebody onto the jeepney. And then somebody says, well, if the trains come or subways come, what are those barkers going to do to get money? And I'm like, well, obviously you have to peep out to find other jobs and maybe I'm going to go a little bit too crazy on my rant here, but you know, I think what it's really challenging. I don't know. I think, I think, you know, I have, I've had friends on even as podcasts like Chris Gormley, he, he, uh, he does LEDs in Australia. I think he recently exited, but he, uh, he owned a factory he had, or he had a joint venture. Sam Marks was also here. He had like a strategic deal with the factory for his e-cigarettes for SkySig, you know, I think you have to have a very intimate relationship with your supplier is either option one or become the factory. And I know you're like, oh, I don't know anything about China. I don't want to do business in China. I don't want to become like John Graham from last week and get stuck in China on an exit ban. Or maybe you buy from factories outside of China. Honestly, you know, I mean, this is just the way it is. You know, the, the, the this is the reality. Um, you have to, uh, play by the rules or play by maybe I don't want to say rules but play by the way that things are going so another strategy maybe is try to split up your supply chain like I mentioned like somewhat they call it black box where you buy from multiple different suppliers you send it to a QC company or a sourcing company or a logistics company and then they put it all together they buy the packaging somewhere else so it's not like you're just giving all of the data this is really the key and like like Thierry talked about in this uh, Toys R Us example, Toys R Us put all their products onto Amazon and then Amazon can kill them because Amazon sees all of the data. You know what I'm saying? So if they can see what's the hot product and what's the not hot product, they can drop them. You know, my first business was bar products. I drop shipped 200 or 300 SKUs while I lived in New York City working on Wall Street and I didn't have any of them. And then I dropped half of them too, and I knew what sold, so I knew what I could invest in. So it's really about the data, you know what I'm saying? So it's, whether it's a Chinese factory you're buying from, if they see all of your data, which means all of your products, they know everything, you have risk. Or if, obviously you're kind of stuck with Amazon. They know everything if you want to sell on it because they, they obviously see everything and they can compete directly with you. They can then try to get you to send a purchase order so they can tell the factory to sell against you, you know, this is not a happy-go-lucky world. This is a dog-eat-dog world. And, uh, you know, I understand why Chinese uh, sellers do what they do or Western sellers or factories, you know. But maybe who's the winner? Who's going to be the winner? Maybe it's going to be Amazon directly, right? We're all fighting for the – fighting each other. Um, I'm kind of ranting, but, you know, you could just skip this. I, I'm looking at the timer about nine minutes on my outro recording. But this stuff's all kind of keeps me up – keeps me up to thinking always, you know, but really the real goal, you know, we've had my good friend Mayer on this show from Brand Masters and, you know, it's really about who owns the brand. I mean, it's also what Thierry said in the interview, you know, who is actually the brand owner. Brand is everything and the only thing really. And it's what the customer recognizes and trusts and wants to buy. So, and it's the hard, really, honestly, the hardest thing, you know, you can, I think Global From Asia is a brand, it is a brand, you know, six years grinding out these, of course, I took a few months off, but building trust, building relationships, 
building re you know uh you know i guess i'm building building a, a connection with people and people think of something i don't know i wonder what there's jeff bezos quote a brand is what people say when you're not in a room uh, it's this, you know, what would people say about GFA? I'm not in the room. They say I do too many things. I'm not focused enough. You know, we have all kinds of crazy interviews, but I like this stuff. So, you know, I guess that's a GFA brand. We talk about crazy stuff. Honestly, I have some really crazy interviews that might be not normal. And, uh, but we mix it up here. We, we, we talk about stuff, international business from Asia, from China. And, uh, I do got to get some more of these Chinese sellers or Chinese factories on the show. Um, my wife is getting bombarded by WeChat of a lot of these people that want to get back onto Global From Asia. I don't live there, but we can try to get Skype to work or figure out a way to record WeChat. Or I'm actually planning to go there. I just got a training gig in uh, May to go to Shenzhen for some training seminar. So I'll uh, plan to be there in May, late May. But maybe I'll do some more interviews. But uh this is what Global From Asia is, and I, I hope you enjoy this, these endings. And maybe if you do, send me a quick note at Mike at GlobalFromAsia.com and say, I like the outro. like the 10-minute outro, or we're at 11 now. So take care, everybody, and see you later. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.